Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. From John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought the Pharisees. Oh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, 
You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Do we even need a teaching? Let's just let that rest on us. John said it better than anything I could say. Let me pray. Father, my heart immediately goes to the end of the chapter because there are so many people, whether they're in this room or even some of our brothers and sisters that are going to be watching online this week or even forwarding it to a friend that are going to need to focus on just the last conversation. Um, Many of us feel thrown out. We feel um, just beaten down by other people's words. And Father, forgive us. So many pastors have beaten people down. But Father, Jesus is looking for us outside. But Father, I pray that the outside becomes the inside this morning. Lord, we want you to meet us here. We want you to make things right. We want you to cast out all lies that have ever been spoken to us right now. And we want to hold on to what's true. Father, thank you for John chapter 9, and I pray that you would use me right now to deliver it in a way, Lord, that would set people free, and we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Guys, we've been going through the gospel of John now, so how many weeks have we been in, John? All right, you guys are on it today. This is great. We're trying to do a chapter a Sunday, but the only way we're going to maximize this church family is going to require you to put in some effort That means every week we talk about a chapter on Sunday, and then what do you do with that chapter the whole rest of the week? You read it every day, because it's going to be impossible for you to hear everything today and retain it. I know some of your stories. You are already battling for the thoughts in your head, and so it's going to be impossible for you to hear and process the truth that we've spoken in song, the words we've heard read through John, the words I'm about ready to share with you in a way that you are going to be able to just let it process. We need to allow ourselves to have the Holy Spirit time with us this week. So please don't make this your only time. Because John has been taking us strategically through some highly intentional stories. Now listen, he ends his letter at the end by saying there were so many stories to pick from, all the libraries on earth could not contain all of them. So can I tell you, there are stories of people Jesus interacted with, there are groups of people Jesus interacted with, there are miracles Jesus performed that John did not include in this gospel. There were so many ways in which people were either growing in love with Jesus or growing in their antagonism of Jesus because the world doesn't want truth to be here. 
And so there were religious leaders that were antagonizing Jesus. There were religious leaders like Nicodemus that knew that there was something special about him, so much so that we end up finding Nicodemus repeatedly coming back in John's gospel and even moving towards a posture at the end saying, yes, this was the Messiah. So there's so much going on here, so many conversations, so many miraculous moments. And I want you to know that one of these chapters is for you. I might not touch you in a special way in John chapter 9. You might need to be touched in John chapter 10. Because you're going to find that the people Jesus is interacting with are seen by Jesus. And you need to know that you are seen. You're seen by him. And he wants to touch you. But unfortunately, I can't cover all 21 chapters in one Sunday because we're predominantly um, an American-based church. And whatever isn't done in an hour, you got to get out, right? And so we're trying to shift your thinking to an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Maybe within 10 years, we'll be a three or four hour long church. Praise God. But Jesus wants to touch all of us. There's been some storms this week. Um, I hope that you've been praying for the people that have been in the path of storms. But I want to ask you, do you feel like the person when there's a storm, you're the one struck by lightning? When there's a storm, the tree's going to fall on you? Like you're with the person that nothing ever happens to, and you're outside, and when the branch is coming down, they're fine, and you're the one hit every time? Like, or maybe you feel like you're the person that at work, like, why did I lose my job and why did they keep their job? Are you the person that's like, why did this circumstance happen to me, but it doesn't seem to be happening to anyone else? Are you the person that's always in the wrong place at the wrong time? I mean, I I feel like there's going to be some agreement. I don't want, I want that to be rhetorical. I think some of you are maybe fighting to raise your hand for the first time in the service today. Worship didn't move you, but that question sure did. Because we are longing to not be the one that's in the storm. We're longing to not be the one that, that the branches are falling on or the one that is always losing the job. And we see the people that are putting in less effort, but they seem to be succeeding. Why are they succeeding when I... So M. Night Shyamalan is a Hollywood director, and he actually made a series of movies based upon opposites. There was a man in one of the movies that he had a brittle bone disease. And so no matter what he did, he would break a bone. He walks down the stairs, rolls an ankle. Not only does the ankle break, the whole leg breaks, and he falls and breaks arms, legs, ribs, and hundreds of bones could be broken at a time. In another movie, he makes, or in another character, he develops the man whose bones don't break. No matter how hard he's hit, no matter what kind of accident he's involved in, he's never had a concussion, never had a broken bone, all of this. And there's this thing that's going on in the world where it's like some people have all the luck and some people have no luck. And I want you to know that God sees both of you. I've got friends in my life that I believe they literally have these angels that go around them, and everywhere they go, there's a red carpet they walk on. They don't desire it. They're not arrogant, and they'll tell you, I don't understand, but everything I touch turns to gold. And I've got other friends, and some people would arguably say, I'm that friend to them, 
that no matter what happens, it doesn't seem like the red carpet is ever right in my path. It seems like I see it, but yet I'm always on a rockier road. My shoes are always getting dirty. I always have obstacles to overcome. And so the, the problem is, is that we come at those circumstances in our human limited thinking and our response to situations like that is why God? Why me? Why is this happening to me? Why has all of this come on me? Why does the tree always fall on my personal property? Why does it not fall on somebody else? But I want to propose for a few minutes today of looking at John chapter 9 a little bit differently. You might just be one moment away from experiencing full life. You might just be one encounter with Jesus away from experiencing the sheer generosity of God. If you and I could just pay attention long enough to let the Holy Spirit clear out our thinking, we might find that there's an alignment issue with us. And if we align and obey the voice of God, there could be a dramatic shift in a lot of the ways in which we're processing the circumstances around you. Now, mind you, I did not say if you follow God and you shift your thinking and you align with him, you will win the Powerball. I did not say that you're going to get your dog back, your truck back, your boat back. Your, like, it's not the reversal of a country music song, right? I am saying that you're going to understand the sheer power and the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ because you're going to know that he's with you. So in, in, in John's gospel, it's become one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, in verses 1 and 2, he says, As he went along, Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? First of all, I want to highlight the fact that Jesus was the one who saw the blind man. And so there's an undertone in this chapter that I do not have time to get into, that Jesus is still trying to teach his disciples to see. Because the book isn't written, the Bible isn't written so that you and I can just have a right standing with God. God wants to give us our sight back. He wants us to be, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, the light when he's not there. That's our responsibility. And so they notice that Jesus is looking at someone, so they look at them, but then look at way that they looked at this man. They, they went from a, a Jesus that they had seen feed thousands of people with a boy's lunch. They went from seeing Jesus heal other peoples. They went from seeing Jesus teach powerfully, interrupt the climax of the Festival of Tabernacles at the water ceremony in the temple, Jesus screaming out, all of you are thirsty, come to me. Like they had just witnessed Jesus doing all of this and their best thing that they could do is ask Jesus a question. Like Jesus, we notice you're staring at this blind man. How are you gonna heal him? Jesus, how are you, wait a minute, Jesus, can I get this one? Can you like touch me or breathe on me and let me go touch this blind man? No, they made a theological, philosophical conversation out of it instead of asking Jesus to do something, but it exposes their heart. And I want it to be the way that we let John 9 expose us this morning. Because in their heart, they are only interested in the reasons behind the man's blindness. 
they only want to know who is to blame. Is this man blind because of his own sins? Is this man blind because of the sins of his parents? Jesus is the man. Jesus is this man blind because of this or because of that? By the way, this blind man is not deaf. So he is well aware of the conversation that is happening around him, about him. Have you guys ever walked up on people talking about you? It's never generally positive, is it? But he can mostly hear their conversation, I'm sure of it. And it's very likely that the rumors of Jesus had met this blind man's ears at some point. There's no way being in his proximity to where he was in and around Jerusalem that he could have not heard about this Jesus that was interrupting the temple worship, that was healing people, that was causing all of this commotion. And he's sitting there knowing that this rumor Jesus is the one, and he's listening to the disciples say, who should we blame? But this is the principal dilemma, church. For some reason, my microphone's pulling out of my head today. The principal thing that you and I think about is who should I blame? I need you to hear that because you're going to hear it a lot in your own thinking this week. You're going to hear yourself looking at your life and you're going to find yourself saying, Who is to blame? We don't experience the fullness of God in our lives because we are constantly looking. We don't experience, let me rephrase that, we don't experience God in the fullness of our lives because we are constantly looking for who's to blame for the situation we're in. We are constantly conditioning ourselves to look at the problems we have and assigning guilty verdicts to them. The, the, the purpose of my teaching today, if you only hear one last thing, is I want us to stop looking to blame and find ourselves in the presence of Jesus. Because I believe that if you and I can allow ourselves to find the presence of Jesus, we're going to find that he's offering us today an opportunity to move in a different direction with our life. Because you see, the disciples only give Jesus two options. Man sins, parent sins, like as if in life it is simple as choice A or choice B, like everything on the planet is either chocolate or vanilla. And if you've been to Be More Licks, there is more than chocolate and vanilla. Have you ever been behind the person that's, 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 been there, that's, that's walking up to the window for the first time? Like they need to have a window for those of us that know what we want, and they need to have a window for those that are overwhelmed by all the choices, and then they can't figure out, well, which one is a soft-serve flavor and which one is a scooped flavor? I'm like, it says scoops here and soft-serves here, but they go to the window, like, is this in the scoop or is it in a soft-serve? Like, read the sign. You're slowing us all down. Like, so there I'm venting over my ice cream, but so much about what's happening around us is that we think that it is as simple as chocolate and vanilla, and Jesus is like, you know what, there's other options. There's other options to look at your circumstances. There's other ways to look at what's going on in our lives. 
And he's saying, as this man is sitting here, hearing this discussion about his blindness and becoming more and more aware of what's going on, he's understanding that Jesus is about ready to say that there's another option. Jesus never allows himself anywhere in the Gospel of John to be trapped by human limited thinking. And the problem is, is that there are Old Testament passages like the entire book of Habakkuk, the entire book of Job, the majority of the Psalms that are there to tell us that we have a thinking problem. And we have letters written by Paul to the early church saying, let the power of God renew your mind. Because we are so limited by the fixed mindsets that we have that we need to approach Jesus so that we can learn to think about what's happening around us with his perspective and not ours. So John chapter, three go, John chapter 9 verse 3 goes on to say, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be on display in him. And Jesus says that there's another way of looking at it. And he's saying, rather than looking at who's to blame, let's look at what God's going to do in his life right now. But this phrase, so that the works of God will be displayed in him, has been used as a weapon against me as a pastor. And can I be honest? I've actually weaponized these words before. Because I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, this man is born blind so that God's power can be on displayed in him? Does that not sometimes make it seem like God is malevolent? Like, like, like he's got this heart to do evil in somebody so that he can be, come up and show like himself like the hero? I've had people come back to this passage and be like, it was so mean from God to let this man be born blind in the first place. And now he's going to show up and say, well, it was for a time like this that God allowed this to happen. But here, I want you guys to understand this. Because a lot of the Bible is, is, is translated into English, and because the English language is so shallow in our way our words describe things, I want you to hear these words a little bit differently. Because I believe what Jesus is saying here, it's not the man's sins, it's not the parent's sins, but he's saying that everything you and I see as an obstacle is an opportunity for God. So this is now a man who's now interacting with Jesus. Because guys, I want you to understand, part of our theological breakdown is that when Jesus was present in this passage, there was something new that God was doing that he had to complete with Israel before the rest of the Gentile world could be open to it. So we have the problem of looking back on John chapter 9, post-resurrected Jesus, post-theology, and we begin to take this availability of God that you and I have had access to so much so that we're so casual at times, like, let me just fist bump Jesus. When Emmanuel was present for the first time, in a broad sense, and now we have access in a level that these people didn't have access. So the power of God is being limited. I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. But this works of God in this man was so that people could begin to see that the brokenness of my life, the things that are happening, is an opportunity. So everything that you see is a dead end. Everything that you see is a tragedy. Everything that could be happening in the material of your life could become extraordinary in the presence of Jesus Christ. It could become the single most life-changing thing that you've ever experienced. But the problem is, is if we're not careful, we're going to always be looking to blame 
rather than looking to find Jesus for an opportunity. So I need to give you a sheer warning right now, church. This chapter is not for everybody, but yet it is. All of our circumstances are going to align differently to different characters. Some of you are going to totally identify with the blind man. Others of you are going to identify with the disciples. Some of you might even identify with the religious leaders in this passage. And so it's hard for me as a pastor to coordinate this chessboard of all these people and say, here's your meaning for you. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do a great work through this. But if we keep this incredibly personal for a moment... And I'm not going to ask you to show hands because I'm pretty sure that near 100% of you, if not 99% of you in this room, at least once, maybe dozens of times in your life have said, why did God let me go through this? At least dozens of times you said, why did you make me like this? How many times have you stood in front of the mirror and had a conversation with God about what beauty and wonder really looks like? Jesus doesn't even allow us to get into the question of blame. He knows it's not the way to move our lives forward. Jesus, with his disciples right now, is addressing the issue of blame. I've had conversations for the last 30 years as a pastor, teenagers, adults, My wife and I have counseled as a couple. My wife has been with women one-on-one. And can I tell you this? There are a lot of full-grown men and women who have not been able to get over blame. I've had people, and I think you guys need to hear me say this, and I want to speak it truthfully, and I want to speak it in love, And I don't know everybody's circumstances to their fullest. And I want to be sensitive to the circumstances of our lives. And let me tell you, I could share with you a lot of stories about the circumstances of my life. But many of us are still blaming our parents for their choices. And for the situation they've put us in. Many of us are still blaming an ex of some kind. That doesn't necessarily mean an ex-wife or an ex-husband or an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend, an ex-employer, an ex-neighbor. I mean, we have exes over a lot of people that we're blaming for circumstances that have happened in our life. And my question to you guys today, which is predominantly an adult-filled room of people, is how old do you have to be before your parents are no longer to blame for the reasons you're the way you are? Like, when are we going to just say, I'm an adult and I can make a choice? Now, mind you, there's a lot of baggage to that statement. And I know there's a lot of great therapy going on in our world today, which I'm grateful for the flood of opportunity now where people are able to get help. But I'm looking at my brothers and sisters in this room right now and saying, if we could look at John chapter 9, this man born blind who has every reason in the world to look for blame is being given an opportunity to change his life. And I believe Jesus wants to do the same thing with us. We go from blaming our parents to blaming our friends to blaming our boss to blaming our city to blaming a neighbor to blaming America. And then we're like, if I just didn't have to live on planet Earth, I would be fine. Like the cycle of blaming and blaming and blaming goes on. But the worst part is, is that once we run out of people to blame, we blame God. 
We start blaming him. And then some point in the, in, the, in the scenario, we shift from blaming God and blaming everybody else to start blaming ourselves. And some of you got to give yourself a break. Like, because that was one of the questions that the disciples were presenting as an option. Like, is this man blind because of his own sins? It's much like the, the chapter of the cripple that, was, that Jesus healed and he met him in the temple later and he said, now you're healed, but just don't sin anymore. The woman at the well, like, just don't sin anymore. The woman thrown at his feet in adultery after Jesus wrote in his, in his hands. It's like, okay, she wasn't the one caught into adultery. The man should have been thrown at Jesus' feet. But that was the story for last week. Go back and listen. But yet we find that here, Jesus is looking at this woman saying, look, so you've been healed. You've been set free. Just stop sinning so I don't have to come back and heal you again. The story in John chapter 9 is about us putting to death our thinking of who's the one to blame and shift our thinking to what is the opportunity in front of me because Jesus is the one that's with me. It's not about who's to blame. It's about what opportunity is here right now because I have encountered Jesus Christ. God can make beauty from our mess. God is working to bring light into the darkness, bringing healing to our pain, hope into our despair, and forgiveness to our sin. John 9, 47, as long as it is day, you must do the, the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, and while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now I know because it is in the Bible, this sounds miraculous and normal. But can I tell you guys, this is not okay. There is not a culture on the planet where spit is respectful. If this was the NBA, Jesus would have been ejected from the game. Because one of the worst things you can do in this world is spit on somebody. Or place spit on their body. And so here, I just want you to understand, back in the first century, this wasn't something special that's holy. Like, I'm 100% a believer that Jesus was 100% God and 100% human, but this was 100% human spit. This was not holy water that you would drink or put on your head or any of this kind of stuff. This was Jesus' bodily spit. And how much spit does it take to make mud? And remember, this man is blind, not deaf. I don't care how good you are at spitting. There is not a one of us on the first attempt can make enough mud to cover two eyes. Imagine how long it took Jesus to make malleable mud. To put on a man's face it wasn't just one, like, how long did it take? Now, I just want you guys to realize right now, I'm watching a lot of your throats do this. You know what you're doing? No, you're swallowing your spit. But as long as it's in here, it's okay, right? None of you would spit into a glass and drink it right? And none of you would offer it to any, well, some of you guys probably would, but it's not worth the dare. 
right? And it's crazy that in romance, exchanging spit is considered love. But it's like there's so much going on in this passage that we could look at. Like, I remember even as a kid, my mom would go to her spit to remove food from my face. I even believe, and I know my mom's going to be watching later, I even think she tried to do it at my 50th birthday party. And it is disgusting to a child as well as to grown adults. Anytime your saliva is put on anybody else's face. And you and I need to understand that this was not some powerful, divine spit. This was crazy effort on Jesus' part to put something on this man's face. But can I tell you guys this? Church family, I want to be blunt This is where the majority of us walk away. If you were blind, and and Jesus' way of healing you was to spit enough to make mud and put it on your face. Now, had Jesus promised to give him his sight yet? Did Jesus anywhere in this chapter promise to give him sight The answer is no. It was the result, but it wasn't a promise given to him. We get mad at God because he doesn't remove the consequences of our choices. We get mad at him all the time because we've chosen to drive our life off a cliff and we've got the brokenness around us to experience the pain of the choices we've made, and then it's become somehow God's problem to fix us in a moment, knowing that if he did, we would drive off another cliff and he'd have to fix us again. When in all actuality, this, pas- this passage is really now also a lot about the human heart. The spit and mud in this story isn't the messy part. The spit, the spit and mud is just a, a substance in here that really... God used in a powerful way, but the messiness is the human heart. The heart in the religious leaders, even the heart of the parents couldn't even back up their son because they were fearful of the religious leaders. The disciples, their heart, who to blame, who to blame? Jesus, there's an option. I'm with you, there's options. I think one of the things Jesus was doing here through that interaction with the man born blind is to show us that God can take the most basic materials and do miraculous things with it. So why can't we trust him with this material? Why can't we trust him with the material of our lives? But can I tell you guys this? This is another side effect of this story or side channel of this story. This man's situation didn't go from bad to worse or worse to good. It went from bad to worst to good. Putting spit and mud on this man's face made this man actually think, could I not be more humiliated? Could I not get more in trouble? Like, is this not a pathway of saying, wait a minute, I'm meeting Jesus, but my life is getting worse? Can I tell you this? 99% of us in this room, if you ever encounter Jesus, I promise you your life will get worse before it will get better. Can I tell you why? 
Because Jesus is going to start talking to you about your life. And you're not going to want your life to change. You just want the promises attached to God. You don't want Jesus' presence in our life. And Jesus is going to say, but in order for me to spend time with you and the intimacy to make you powerful in this world is you've got to get rid of some of the junk in your closet. And so the mud and the spit is a symbol to you and I that when you're in the presence of Jesus, he's going to start making some demands of us. And that actually might make your life worse because you're going to lose some of your friends, if not all of your friends. And you're like, wait a minute, I gave my life to Jesus and now I'm alone. And Jesus is like, I'm enough. Be patient. I've got a place I'm going to send you. But there's other things in your life. He's like, I need you to give up these addictions. I need you to be aware that what you're doing by yourself, I'm aware. So you need to change what you're doing when you think nobody else is watching. And you're going to realize after a while, you become very uncomfortable with Jesus because Jesus is molding us into his image. He's wanting us to be something powerful and he's going to convict you of the greed. He's going to convict you of the jealousy. He's going to convict you of the areas in which your character isn't measuring up because in areas like greed, he's going to say to you, do you realize that you're paying interest on items that you don't even use anymore and you don't have the capacity to be generous to the people that don't even have what they want or they need? So he's given us, so we go buy things that we think we want or that we need, and we don't even use them, or we're paying for them for years upon years upon years to Visa, MasterCard, American Express. And he's like, that's not working for you, is it? And he's like, let me change your life pattern, because the only way you're going to be satisfied is if you become generous like me. And therefore, you learn to sacrifice, and you deny yourself things. So we begin to wonder if we made the wrong decision in trusting Jesus to put mud on our face. I promise you, church, keep listening. Keep listening to Jesus. He's trustworthy. Jesus is saying to the blind man and to us here today, trust me. There's a little section of these verses where he said, while I'm with you, I'm the light of the world, but then when I'm gone, I want you guys to understand this. This is why this passage is so important to the church. Jesus is gone. But the light is still here. He, this passage was a, while we're doing this, and then one of these days I'm going to go because I'm the source of the light, but then I'm going to make you the source of the light. But church, we can't be the source of the light if we don't allow God to do a work in us. It's not just me saying, God, I want to go to heaven. That doesn't bring light to anybody. But when you change, you are different. Look at the passage. It says, after saying that, well, let me, let me come back to this. I'm going to jump ahead in my notes. So guys, you might just want to forget trying to follow me here for a minute. But he's saying to them, like, his life was so different that his own neighbors and people around him were like, is that him? No, it's not him. And did you hear the heartbeat of his neighbors? They're no longer calling him blind. They're calling him a beggar. Like, how ruthless is the human condition? Like, this is exposing us in our humanity at so many levels. This man was blind, but they are now saying that he's the beggar that we've... No, he's not, because if he... And so they're arguing over him, but this man was obviously looked the same, but he was different, and they were trying to make sense of it. Church, there are people in your life that need to make sense of what's happened to you. 
They need to be able to see that, man, wait a minute, you met Jesus. and so, Like, what happened? You're like, well, once I was caught up in all of these things. I was greedy. I was selfish. But now I, I, I'm sacrificing on behalf of others. Like, where is our area of blindness that he's wanting to set us free into? And the people get around you like, I remember you like that. But wait a minute, you're telling me now that you're like this? How did that happen? It was I encountered Jesus. And Jesus is wanting to do something new in me. In verses 6 and 7, it says this, After saying this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with his saliva. And he put it on his man's eyes, put it on his face. And he said, he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So that the man went and washed and he came home seeing. Nowhere did Jesus promise the healing. But he says to this man, go to the pool of Siloam. And I love the way that John uses the parenthetical here. He's continuing to explain to the audience what needs to be known so that they can get the fullness of the passage by saying this Salome means sent. But another way of looking at this particular passage is that Salome also is a place of obedience. Now, mind you, Bartholomew is never mentioned anymore in the Bible. Like, couldn't Jesus have said, Bartholomew, I'm going to give you a chance to be in the Bible again? Like, take this blind man with mud on his face to the pool of Siloam. Jesus told the blind man to get there by himself. Now, church, we want a faith with no effort. That's who we are. Thank God this blind man was obedient. But the thing I love is that he wasn't committed to the promise. He was committed to the person. We need to trust Jesus because he's good. We need to trust Jesus because he's trustworthy. The miracle did not happen in this man's life until he was obedient. God saying to this man, I've done my part, now go to the place you've been sent. Was the man healed immediately when the spittle was put on his face? Or was he healed when he washed? We don't know because the man had mud on his face, so he couldn't even tell you when the actual healing took place. All I know is after he was obedient, he had a testimony. There's so many things we can learn from this man, but the, one of the things that you and I need to understand is that he took advantage of his opportunity with Jesus and he trusted him. No promises, just an encounter. And he trusted him. Church family, we need to break the habit in our life of blaming other people or blaming circumstances. We need to develop with Jesus at our side an opportunity to turn to him and say, what do I do now? Where do I go now? What do you want me to do now? If you've never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just want you to know I believe he's here with us today. And I believe that he wants to take the material of our lives and make it into something special. And that starts with you and I just simply acknowledging that he's with us and that he has a special touch for us. He can heal us. He can, he can bring life to us, not just give us an eternity of peace. He can start a life of light and love and hope and faith in us now. And it starts with just a simple prayer of, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I trust your voice. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I trust your voice. So today, if that's your prayer, I want you to feel like you could just say that. 
to say it out loud. We're going to have people at the Lord's tables where you can go and pray with them. But for those of you that are sitting here today, as we go to the Lord's table here, while Victory sings some songs over us and with us and invites us into that, could we say, God, teach me to be obedient to your voice? Father, I love you for you. I'm not just loving you for your promises. I'm trusting you with my life. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, do the deep work that only He can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.